Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. We are like clay, static, unrecognizable, nothing. A formless mass with no direction, no purpose, no meaning. We are like clay, pliable, movable, moldable. In the hands of the Creator, we can be changed, made beautiful, given life. Nothing becomes something extraordinary. The transformation takes time. The process is tedious, difficult, painstaking. But soon we see the beginnings of something wonderful. The formless takes shape. The unrecognizable finds its identity. The meaningless is given purpose. From nothing comes beauty. We are like clay, each piece different than the next, given unlimited potential in the hands of the potter. I think we are all familiar with gardening, to one degree or another. Whether you have a nice big garden or you have a pot, with some flowers in it. I suppose that you would never wear dirty gardening clothes to a formal wedding. Or a big, nice, beautiful tuxedo or a beautiful formal dress to go out gardening. It's just not something that we do, is it? And that points us to the fact that change sometimes is vital. Change is important. There is a trend going on in some circles that would want us to believe that coming to Christ does not mean to change. Well, I wonder if the people that say that understand what coming to Christ is all about. Because it is transformational, truly transformational. And Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, makes it crystal clear. Let's read it together from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. 
For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walk when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Lord of the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whoever, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I, I know that usually we don't address a passage that is this long because if we were to cover it, in great detail, then we would be here probably until midnight. But I wanted you to get the context of this, the context of how we're called to be transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ in us. It is his word. It is his work, not our work, but it is his work that produces change. Not as at the beginning, verses 1 to 4. Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Keep, let me read it again. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, um, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, think about that. It's not because it's questioning whether you have been raised with Christ, but it is a rhetorical if. It basically, what Paul wrote is because you have been raised up with Christ, then keep seeking the things above. Because you have been raised up with Christ. Now, by the way, I don't know if you noticed that, but there is a great deal of hope and a great deal of certainty of God's gift, a blessing right there. We have been raised up with Christ. You have been raised up with Christ. Sometimes we think of ourselves as being at the bottom of a mountain and having to climb that mountain to come to Christ. Guess what? That's not what God is doing. 
God is not leaving you down at the bottom of the mountain, looking whether you have the strength and the stamina to climb up all the way to him, because you would never be able to do that. I would never be able to do it. We would never be able to do that. But the good news here is that Paul confirmed, or God through Paul confirmed, that God has done that. You have been put right at the top of the mountain where Christ is. Now here's the deal. If you are there with Christ and you realize and acknowledge that, can you imagine being up there on the top of the mountain with Christ and say, hold on, hold on, I'm busy. I've got to climb so I can get to the top. And there's nothing in front of you to climb. That looks kind of silly, doesn't it? What if instead we did what the Apostle Paul here is telling us to do? Okay, Lord, thank you for bringing me up here. Now, what are we going to do? Let me know. We're going to be part of that. We're going to participate in that. Seek the things above. That word seeking is striving toward that. But it also continues as where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things above. So is Paul saying the same thing? Basically, yeah, but with different emphasis, because in the Greek there are two different words. One, seeking, means striving for the things above. But the other one, because you are raised with Christ there, now you can set You can concentrate your mind on the things that are there, that are above, and not on the things that are on earth. Lately, I've had plenty of reason to think of the things on earth. And you know what? I have my moments. When my mind goes on the things that are on earth, what happens in my body, what happens around me, and so on, It's depressing. It's depressing. But then I'm reminded, hello, I'm up here. Right? I'm not down there. I'm not in those things. Although I can use those things to make you better as well. But I'm up here. And so I'm reminded that my mind should be set on the things above. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Paul continues, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, we're dead to ourselves, but very much alive in Christ. And when Christ, who is our hope, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And I say, praise God, thank you so much. But notice again, notice how God moves the Apostle Paul over and over and over to remind us that it's not our doing. You know, in in previous weeks, we, we saw that time and time again, and he continues with the same concept. It's not our work. When Christ, who is our life, who is your life? Christ is. 
is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Yeah, there is a great deal of glory awaiting for every single one of us. We talked about it in, in the, several weeks ago. You can look at it in Romans 8. Again, if you so wish, and I would really recommend that you do. But it is in him and with him that we're going to be revealed in, what, in his glory. That's our destiny. Verses 5 to 7. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedient. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Now, Paul here now is beginning to tell us that there are some clothes that we have on. He changes the metaphor and he gets into the metaphor of clothing. And he's telling us there are some clothing that you've been wearing that are not appropriate. You are brought in the presence of the king and those filthy rags don't are not appropriate for that. So consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, which is, could be translated as fornication as well, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed. Now these are not exclusive things. These are just examples that God brought to the mind of the Apostle Paul as he was inspiring Paul to write it. And just to make us think that basically everything that is moved or motivated, I should say, everything that is motivated by self-centeredness, selfishness, lust, is sin because it, it's idolatry. Why do I say it's idolatry? Why does he say it's idolatry? Because it points our hearts and our minds to ourselves. What do I get out of this? What's in it for me? And so we raise ourselves as idols. We worship ourselves. You know, there is a, a trend that has been for years, for a few decades, that within Christianity, you, you have to learn to love yourself in order to be able to love others. And you've heard that. We all have. You know what God has to say about that? Baloney. Okay? You love yourself already way too much. And what I'm telling you is not to learn to love yourself, but learn to love others the way that you love yourself. And that would make the world very different. And then God reminds us that it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What does that mean? Let me, let me tell you a little something about the wrath of God. First of all, God's anger is different from ours. In, in James, we're reminded that the anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. God's anger is always a hundred percent of the times motivated by his love. Amen. You know why God is so angry against sin? Because sin destroys you. 
And a God who really loves you, think about it, a God who really loves you cannot love what destroys you. If God were not to hate what destroys you, God wouldn't be loving you the way he does. And so his wrath is against those things that destroy us. And he comes upon the sons of disobedience, not because he turns around and no longer loves them and starts hating them, but because as Paul himself in, in the letter to the Romans points out, we turn around against him. Sometimes in counseling, I call my wife and I say, so it's, it's your time to step in. And she, she already knows what I'm going to be doing. Um, she comes into the counseling room and she stands in front of me. And I make the point, if her ultimate good is to go through that door, and God pushes her toward her, that door, because God will always push us toward our ultimate good, right? Now, if she goes and walks toward that door, how does she perceive that push? As a blessing. Wow, that is a blessing. I mean, after all, I'm going toward the door. I know that's where my good is. And God now is pushing me toward the door. And I'm going full steam ahead. But you know what happens is we turn around. God will never turn around and push us toward our evil or toward our destruction. He will continue to push us toward the good. But we turn around and push back. And when we turn around and push back against that, and we just push toward our destruction, God says, uh-uh, you're not going to make me change, but you need to learn that you need to change. And so that same push that a little bit before in the other setting was perceived as a blessing, now is perceived as God's anger. Food for thought. Paul reminds us that we once walked in those things because we lived in them. But that good news is once. You no longer do that. Why? Because we're now in Christ. Verses 8 and 9. But you also put them all aside anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices you've taken off the dirty clothing basically god says listen you 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 finally took off the dirty clothing you put on a beautiful tuxedo don't go gardening again with that Remember Mama, when you were a kid, and he put the, the Sunday dress or the Sunday suit on you, and it says, don't go in the mud. Right. <laughs> we have to put all these things aside. All those things are destructive, including the lying to one another. Because we put aside the old self. We put aside what we used to be. And we are now new in Christ. 
verses 10 and 11. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Now Paul goes back to one of the reasons why he's writing the letter, and that is because wrong doctrines were beginning to infiltrate in the church in, in Colossae. And, uh, but is reminding the, the people in the church and through them, all of us, that we put on the new self. A new self that is being constantly renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Created what? Created the new self. Look, this is saying what scripture says elsewhere, that God who started out who began a good work in you, he's going to continue it. He's going to carry it out in you. And he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to fulfillment. So put on that new self that you are, who you really are in Christ. It's a matter of identity. Don't be who you are not anymore. Sometimes I hear people saying, well, I'm, I'm nothing but a sinner. Well, Paul, I think, would disagree with that. Paul would say, that's what you used to be. That's what you were. But now, you are a new person. You are totally new. You are different. And so put on that new self that is being renewed. I'm working on that. I'm not done yet, but I'm working on it. And it's being renewed according to what? To the image of God who created that new self. A renewal in which there is no distinction, and here's where God goes back to the, one of the purposes of his letter, because they were making differences between uh, ethnic groups and, and you know, levels of knowledge and, and so on. But notice the point he makes. Christ is all and in all. It's not whether you're a Jew or, or, or a Gentile. It's not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not whether you are a slave or a free person. It is all about Jesus Christ in you. He is the one who transforms you. He is the one who changes all of us. Verses 12 and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whichever has a complaint against anyone, just ask the Lord, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You know, there will always be reasons for us to forgive one another. You are not perfect. Surprise. I'm not perfect. Not a surprise. And so if you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, chances are that sooner or later you and I are going to have to forgive each other for something. And the Lord says, didn't I forgive you the big stuff? 
So why won't you be willing to forgive each other the little stuff, the little things, and maybe sometimes even the not so little things? Way to put on patience. You know when you need patience? When everything in you tells you that you need patience. When the circumstances are such that you would tend to lose your patience, that's when you need your patience. I remember praying for patience. God answered but in a way I didn't expect. In a way, I wouldn't sign up for it. <laughs> My daughter was 10 days old, and I messed up my back, and I ended up two months in bed and one year in rehab. Talk about patience. <laughs> yeah. But he wants us to have a heart of compassion. Why? Because you have been chosen by God. Have you ever th paused and thought about that? You're not an accident. You know that? You are not an accident. God has specifically <laughs> chosen you. So because you are chosen of God and God has made you holy because you're beloved. Wow. When is the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and realized that God has made you holy? It's kind of hard, isn't it? It's kind of hard because we have a lot of voices coming at us. You're not good at this. You're not good for that. God says, I know. I don't care. What I'm doing in you, it's absolutely awesome. What I'm working out in you is majestic, regal, royal, because you will be kings and queens. But he wants us to have a heart of compassion how do we develop a heart of compassion? Well, if the love of God is poured out in our hearts, and it is, then we will come to understand how hard it is sometimes for us to express it. So when a brother or sister doesn't quite do a good job in expressing that love of God, then, then what? Then we extend some compassion. Hey, brother, hey, sister. I know how hard it is. Don't worry. He wants us to be kind, humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. We already made a comment about that. So let's go to verses 14 and 15. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Did you notice? 
beyond all these things, without excluding all these things he has been written about. Put on love. Okay, now we know the changes that God is talking about. Right? Beyond all these things, put on love. We take off the old dirty clothes. We put on that beautiful new tuxedo. That love of God. Which is a bed, the perfect bond of unity. I want you to notice that statement. You want unity? You know, I, I've seen a number of churches in my life. In 40 years of ministry, I've seen quite a few churches. And I've also seen quite a few problems in the churches. And I can tell you one thing. Problems in the churches begin when the membership starts thinking, what do I get out of this? That's where the root of the problems start taking hold. Because then it's all about me. It's all about what I get out of it. It's no longer the fact that God has given us the privilege and the blessing of passing on what he has given to us. Put on love. What is love? Love, as John 3.16 defines it, is a giving of oneself for the benefit of a beloved in Christ. A giving for the benefit of the other. If all of us are involved in giving of ourselves for each other's benefit, who's going to argue? Who's going to fight? Well, I take it back. I've heard small arguments where people would say, please accept this. No, 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 please accept that. No, please accept this. And they are kind of almost arguing to give to each other. And I say, come on, guys, just swap it. You get that, you get that, you're both happy. But joking aside, if I ever have to see conflict within the church, I would like to see conflict in people trying to outgive one another <laughs> than the opposite. The perfect bond of unity. When two people give all of themselves to each other, you know what God says? They are one. That's how husband and wife ought to be. That's how brethren ought to be. We are one in Christ. And we're told to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Notice once again. Yes, we are are to be at peace with one another and within ourselves. But did he say anything about our peace? Or did he say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? So once again, and again, and again, and again, it is his peace that fills our heart and eventually is shared. We are called to be one body and to be thankful for that, to show ourselves thankful for the preciousness of that body. 
It continues, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, do you want to know why we have hymns and songs? Do you know why we pray together? Because that's God's way to teach us to worship. We are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. That's what we are doing now. We are taking his word. Not as said, I'm not going to give a sermon based on, let's see, what happened to me during this week? And this happened and this is what I learned. It's all about me and what I did, what I learned and so on. No, no, no. You're coming over here. You're coming to hear God's word. I do my, my very best and I pray that the Lord will bless it to explain it and to bring it up in, in our life. But it is his word, not mine. Please don't come here to listen to me. But do come here to listen to God. Because that word of Christ needs to be dwelling within us with all wisdom. But notice then how? By teaching and admonishing one another. That's what we're doing. In many different ways, we're sharing his teachings with one another. We admonish one another. We enrich one another. How? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with great thankfulness in our hearts to God. Yeah, thankful because we have a great deal to be thankful for. A great deal. Finally, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that very briefly, does not mean to attach the magic formula in Jesus' name to everything that we do. Okay. Because when we do that that way, it becomes a magic formula. It loses its real meaning. It loses its what, what is really intended to be. And what is intended to be is that in Jesus' name means with his authority on his behalf. Basically, it answers the question, what is Jesus doing? And we're going to be part of that. And so we're doing it on his behalf. We're doing it with him. We're doing it in his name. That could mean a number of things with his permission, with his authority, uh, with his mandate. But it is all, as Paul just said a little bit before, all about him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, and the way of saying this is, let it be Jesus Christ doing it in and through you. And giving thanks through him, through Christ, to God the Father. So I would like to conclude by asking you a couple of questions. You notice how we are to take off the selfish old self. 
we had to take off and put off the dirty clothes and put on the nice, beautiful dress or suit, brand new, in Christ, to put on the, the righteousness of Christ. In fact, as we just read, to put on the love of Christ. So how do we express his love? Think about that. When we encounter someone in need, how do we express his love? When being Christian becomes hard, when we are provoked, when we are, quote-unquote, offended, how do we express his love? God bless you. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When I am falling short, when 
God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all peoples may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace as children of one Father, to whom be dominion and glory now and forever. Amen. 